Isn't it great to be in the presence of the Lord this morning? Amen. The Indiana Wesleyan University Alumni World Change, or award, was established in 2012 by the IWU Board of Trustees to honor an alumnus who has made or is making a significant difference in his or her, her corner of the world. Whether in the marketplace or on the mission field, IWU World Changers are people who influence and impact others through servant leadership. The hope of the board was that the stories of these people would inspire current students to make a difference wherever God places them. IWU Alumni World Changers are ordinary people who have done extraordinary things with the talents God has blessed them with. And that is certainly true of today's inductee. Let me share with you quickly the previous inductees. We began this in 2013 with Cheryl Marie Beckett, who was a 2000 alum while working on a missions trip in Afghanistan, was killed during her service. In 2014, we inducted Howard Noggle, a 1940 graduate who became known as Mr. Marion College and served five presidents over a span of 64 years. That's a long time. Also in 2014, we inducted Doris Wall, who served 40 years as a missionary to Guyana. In 2015, we inducted Dr. Charles Duvall, who graduated in 1926, not long after this place was started. He served as a missionary in Taiwan and also as a botany professor. Also that year, we inducted Dr. Francis Mustafa, who graduated in 1972, and he had received several national and state awards as a teacher. In 2016, we inducted Dr. David Blanchard, a 1953 alum, who served for 40 years at NASA. In 2017, we inducted Dr. Daryl Herman, uh, who graduated in 1973 and became nationally and internationally recognized as a pediatric surgeon. But more than that, he would like us to remember that he always shared Christ with his patients. Last year, we inducted posthumously Dr. Marvin Hines, a 1951 graduate who did biomedical research, including helping create the defibrillator. He also then came back and taught 23 years at IWU and helped create the nursing program. This year, after we inducted our Society of World Changers inductee, and we learned of the key relationship between uh, our alumnus and this inductee into the Society of World Changers. You remember EJ when he was here back in the spring? Yeah. Wow, he got a much better response when he was here. Today we celebrate the induction of Reverend Dr. Kevin Myers, IW alumni world changer, and his plaque will be hanging, and we'll have an unveiling of that at 1245 over in the library rotunda. Let me read you what that plaque says. Dr. Kevin Myers, Bachelor of Science in Christian Ministries, class of 1982. Kevin Myers and his wife, Marsha, left Michigan in 1987 to plant a church in Georgia to attract spiritually unresolved people and redeem the arts for kingdom impact. After a slow start in several temporary spaces, 12 Stone strategically put down roots in a permanent location within the golden triangle of future growth in the county. 
Attendance grew in the midst of a prayer movement and over 20 years has grown to 18,000 weekly worshipers across eight campuses in the Atlanta area. In 2014, 12 Stone opened the John C. Maxwell Leadership Center, investing in the next generation of church leaders through internships and pastor coaching. Please join me in welcoming to the platform Reverend Dr. Kevin Myers as the newest alumni world changer. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Well, that is, that is very kind. And I, I, I hope you love Indiana Wesleyan University. I mean, we love this place. You are part of the best university in this country, and you ought to love this place. High five your neighbor and say, we are in the best place. Just high five your neighbor. We are more than fans of Indiana Wesleyan. This is family for us. Marsha and I met here on campus. We have four children. Uh, three of them are graduates of Indiana Wesleyan University, our fourth, who is 16. Jaden is with us today. This is his chance to experience the campus. We're going to give him a, a little bit of nostalgic uh, memory lane with uh, mom and I and hopefully talk him into coming here in a couple of years. So we love this place. You're in a great place to discover God's purpose for you. You're in a great place to learn how to walk with him and figure out what it means to do life with the God who loves you and created you. You're in a great place to get an education. You're in a great place to go make a difference in this world. In fact, I, I think that this little moment I get to have with you is less about past world changers and more about future world changers which is you. Imagine, well-timed. <laughs> imagine, uh, just for a moment, I, I know it's kind of a strange thought, but imagine if the living God who created the world came down and had a little conversation with you and said, I'd love to use you as a world changer. I mean, what, what would you say? What, what would you do with that? Because that's exactly what happened to Gideon his story's in the Old Testament. You might be familiar with it. It's in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. And if Gideon, who was a young man at the time, had a moment to hang out with you and give you a lesson, he might say something like this. Sometimes, sometimes you feel like a somebody. Sometimes you feel like a nobody. But God will use anybody who will bow in obedience. Sometimes you feel like a somebody. You should encourage the person next to you. Just look at the person next to you and tell them, you're a somebody. Somebody might need that today. Just tell them, you're a somebody. And, and they smile and that's encouraging. Some of you are taking it too far, but that's all right. Now turn to the same person and say, you're a nobody. You did that with far more enthusiasm, but that's okay. Because it's interesting that the same person can sometimes feel like a somebody and sometimes feel like a nobody. But God will use anybody who will bow in obedience. Let's unpack that a little bit. Sometimes you feel like a somebody. 
when I was a junior here at IWU, way back in the dark ages, I get it, I know. But I, uh, I felt like somebody because I was an upperclassman. So if you're upperclassmen, you know what I'm talking about. You have ground through the ranks of freshmen, you rose to sophomore, and you have finally made it to junior or senior. And it's not that they're dweebs, but you're better than them. I know that that's kind of what you think when you're upperclassmen. There's just something happens in you that makes you feel like you're somebody. So when the freshman class showed up that year, I felt like I was somebody. Now stay with me, the freshman class did something interesting that year. They decided to have a fundraiser to raise funds for their freshman class. And it was a fantastic idea. They were going to auction themselves off to the upperclassmen as servants for a day, I kid you not. I know this is already blowing your mind. Some of you are thinking, could we do that? Again, but let me, let me play out the whole story. Literally, I know it sounds inappropriate now, but, but back then, the freshman class put themselves in groups of four guys or four gals. We went to the Baldwin Center. All the upperclassmen gathered around in the chairs, and, and four freshman guys would get on stage, and the whole upperclassmen would bid on them. Like, like an auction, like a car auction, like a vintage auction. And the winning group they would have to be their servants the next day. So we would dress them up weird and, and, and they would have to carry your books and you know, wash your car and clean up after you. I mean, it was really quite fantastic. Now you might be thinking about, they really did this? Oh yeah, and then groups of four freshman girls at a time. Now some of you are smart enough to figure out that the certain upperclassmen voted for certain groups. So when the four gals came on stage and I saw Marsha. I'm like, I don't think I could get a date, but I think I could buy a date. <laughs> she probably wouldn't go out with me, but if I win the bid, she has no choice. <laughs> so I leaned over to my group of guys and I said, I'm bidding on that group and that one right there is going to be mine. You all can divvy up the rest. I know, it's totally inappropriate. I did not, pro I, I didn't ask Dr. Wright for freedom to share the story. I'm just going to finish it. So we started bidding and the bidding was competitive. And I bought my future wife for 11 bucks. That's a fact. So she hates me telling this story. And we've been married for 37 years. And what a kindness of God. But, now, by, by the way, how many think we should do that again? Like the next incoming freshman class. <laughs> this is so wrong. <laughs> so inappropriate. But I felt like somebody. I was an upperclassman. I just won the, I just, <laughs> I just won the bid. Eventually won Marsha. Kindness of God. And then sometimes you feel like a nobody. You don't talk about it a lot. You don't, you don't tell everybody. In fact, very few people know how often this goes on in your head. The insecurity, the uncertainty, the wondering. You usually put a pretty good exterior on. 
two years after I won that bid, we were engaged to be married that summer when I graduated. I was a ministry student. I was so confident in myself that when they had pastors come in from around the area, kind of the northeastern area, Indiana, Michigan, and other pastors of churches came in, and they had a job fair for ministry students. And those pastors would interview all the graduating ministry students and offer them jobs. And I'm like, I'm golden. If you check this out, you will hire it. You can imagine, that didn't go so well. I mean, I was imagining I, would, I was going to pick from options and offers, and I got zero. None. I was so defeated. I'm following the will of God go through all the work of university. Nobody from my family ever went to college. My parents never graduated high school. I'm like, wow, watch what the power of God can do in your life. Not one offer. I moved back home to live with my single mom in her rented townhouse. And I felt like a nobody. If Gideon had a moment with you, he'd say, sometimes you feel like a somebody. Sometimes you feel like a nobody. But God will use anybody. God will use who? Say it with me. Anybody. God will use who? Anybody. Who will bow in obedience. See, Gideon had seasons where he felt like a somebody. We have in the story of Judges 6 to 8, the reality that he probably grew up fairly wealthy. He was an Israelite that had several servants. He'd done well. His family, at least, had done well, and he was benefiting from it. But then, then the Midianites came along. There's some difficulty with the Midianites because they were now enemies of Israel, and they would move in during harvest season, and they would steal all their crops. The Bible says, and the Midianites were impoverishing the Israelites, and for seven years this had been going on. And even though Gideon had come from a family of wealth and it felt like he was somebody for a lot of years, now he felt like a powerless nobody. He's over in the corner hiding, trying to make a lunch for himself. And God comes to Gideon sends an angel, and the angel has a little conversation with Gideon, and the angel says, greetings, mighty warrior. Remember I asked you at the top, if if God came to you personally and said, I would love to use you as a world changer, what would you say? What would you do? So so God comes to him, an angel appears to him, and, and, and greets him with this, greetings, mighty warrior. And immediately, Gideon's response is, who are you really talking about? Because I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm not mighty. I've never been a warrior. I've never done anything mighty. Which is, so it's a really strange statement. He says, God, he's even wondering, God, why, why are you not helping us? Why isn't there evidence of your hand? He said, I'm the least, uh, my family's the least of the 12 tribes of, of Israel, and I'm the least of my family. I feel like a nobody. Why would you come have this conversation with me? Why don't you help us? Why don't you change our world for good? 
And God said, am I not sending you? Listen, when God wants to do something that changes the world, he almost always picks somebody to do it with him. He's picking you. Before you've ever done anything mighty, he chooses you. That's why this conversation has to be about future world changers. If Gideon could talk to you, 18 to 22-year-olds, he would tell you his story. Because he discovered something about God you need to know. It was strange to Gideon to receive the greeting, mighty warrior, or you could insert world changer. (laughs) Because Gideon needed to know something about God, and so do you. Here it is. God sees tomorrow like you see yesterday. Stay with me. God sees tomorrow like you see yesterday. Here's what that means. What is unknown to you tomorrow is known to God already. See, God knows tomorrow like you know yesterday. When God came to Gideon and said, mighty warrior, it's because God knew what he would do through him someday and was already addressing him. I'm telling you, when you're 18 to 22, the Spirit of God is coming on your life and calling forth things that he already knows to be true if you'll join him and cooperate with him. Let me help explain if this isn't connecting for you. The Iwu football program, the Wildcats, to my understanding, we just took down Taylor last weekend. Is that right? Did we just take down Taylor? Did we wreck their homecoming? Oh, come on. It's better than that. We wrecked their homecoming. I love that. We didn't like them. We were here in the name of Jesus. Uh, So I know we're all in the kingdom. I know we'll all be in heaven. I know they'll be there just slightly below us, and that's all right. It's all together in the kingdom. But taking them down is so sweet. Now, I'm not, a, I, I, I'm not encouraging gambling. I don't do sports gambling, but I'm going to take this opportunity to just step outside that for a moment and offer a gamble. I'll make a bet with everybody in this room, $100 per bet. I really will. I'll take Iwu, you take Taylor against Iwu, you get Taylor, I get a woo on last week's game. I'll put 100 bucks on it. For anybody who wants to, I know it's stupid. You're immediately thinking, did he just say last week's game? Yep. Well, that's dumb. Why would we do that? We would lose money. Of course you would. That means you're catching on. Help your neighbor if they aren't. <laughs> Listen, because you wouldn't bet on something you already know is a loser. And I would take I woo because I know they're the winner. Listen. Many of you wouldn't bet on yourself, but God would. Because God already sees your future. When other people come to you, they only see who you are today. When God comes to you, he sees who he's going to help you become. And he called Gideon a mighty warrior. See, tomorrow we play Lawrence Tech. We took him down twice last year. There's a good chance we'll do it again. Now, if I say I'll do a $100 bet with anybody, I get Lawrence Tech and you get I woo, how many would take that bet? I'll bet most everybody here, which is why I'm not offering it. (laughs) I can't lose that much money. 
But tomorrow, we don't know. Listen, God already knows the score of tomorrow's game. You have to wrap your head around this. What is unknown to you is known to God. I don't care theologically. I don't want to get in that debate. If you think it's by foreordination or foreknowledge, I'm telling you, he already knows. See, God knew that he was going to take down 135,000 Midianites through Gideon. So he told Gideon, walk with me, watch what happens. He said, bring together an army, and Gideon called together an army, and 32,000 Israelites showed up. And God said, that's too many. You guys will take credit when it's really me. It's not you. I should get the glory. I'm God. It's only appropriate. I'm the one who's going to make this happen. But 32,000 gets 135,000 Midianites. How are we going to win? And God says, you have too many? With 32,000, we have too few. No, you have too many. Carve it down. Cut it down. And so he cut it down to 10,000. And God said, that's still too many. And then he cut it down to 300. And God says, good. I'll use 300 Israelites under the leadership of Gideon to take down 135,000 Midianites. And he did. He took them down. God, I mean, go read the story. It's worth your time in Judges 6, 7, and 8. And, and Gideon took down 135,000 and was recognized in all of Israel as a mighty warrior. Say it with me. As a what? Mighty warrior. See, prior to that, nobody believed that. Now this great celebration. Oh, they took down the Midianites. But watch it, between the time when God greeted him as a mighty warrior and the victory win, something had to happen. So you might feel like somebody, you might feel like nobody. But God will use anybody, anybody who will bow in obedience. You see, before God ever used him as a mighty warrior, he had to bow in obedience. God said, there's your, your family. Your family has an altar to Baal. The Canaanite, the surrounding cultural community, is used to worshiping idols, and Israel had joined them. It's the easiest thing in the world to join your culture and still pretend you're walking with God. See, there was generational sins from his father down. His family passed along. And there were sins that his generation was passing along. And God said, now you're going to have to change that. Go tear down the altar of Baal that your family has and build an altar to me. In other words, tear down the lies and live in the truth. Before you ever become a mighty warrior, a world changer, the things the kingdom of God has in mind for you, you're going to have to bow in obedience. Back when Marsha and I were at Indiana Wesleyan University, that meant things like sexual purity. Because God had a beautiful plan for marriage, and you don't practice being married before you're married. Oh, that's archaic. You sure? Because Gideon considered it a small thing to worship Baal, and God considered it a big thing. See, bow in obedience is when you make the things that are big to God, big to you. Because that's the only thing God can bless. I come from a broken family. My parents divorced in my early middle school years. It was a rough season. My relationship with my dad deteriorated. By the time I was in college, a freshman in college, I determined I was not gonna 
be in relationship with my dad any longer. There's a lot of details to it. And when I said I wasn't going to be in relationship with him, I mean we didn't have a meaningful conversation for the next 40 years. He has never met any of my children. I now have three grandchildren. He's never met them. He's never been in my house. When I was in my early 30s, the Spirit of God whispered in my soul, you're going to have to forgive. And I'm like, why? I didn't do anything. But here's the reason. The altar of Baal allows bitterness and grudges and resentment toward people who have done things to you that you think you're now a victim of and you have permission for the very things that limit what God could do in and through you. I had to figure out internally how to forgive my dad. I didn't have to go talk to my dad about it. I just had to let it go. Forgive. This stuff doesn't end. This past year, I'm in seasons of prayer saying, Lord, I want more of you. And in the season of that, the Spirit of God said, if you want more of me, be more like me. And I'm like, I've been doing this for a lot of years. I'm in my 50s. How could I be more like you? He said, well, I forgive and restore. You forgive, but you don't restore. And I disagreed with the Lord. Have you ever had to correct the Lord? Because he's busy. He doesn't keep records of everything. I mean, how could he know? So I gave him a list of people I've forgiven and restored. And then he gave me a list of three people I don't. One included my dad. And I said, you're right, I don't. I've forgiven him a long time ago, but I don't want any relationship. He said, fix that, because I not only forgive, I restore. I'd like you to be more like me. I can't tell you how emotionally difficult that was at this stage of life. When I got my dad's phone number from a family member, and I texted him, and I said, you might remember you had a third son. His name was Kevin. If you have time, I'd like to fly up to Michigan and spend a couple hours on a conversation. He said, sure. And we had a moment of exchanging what happened when when I was a teenager into my 20s and started a restoration. Now I'm telling you, it takes a while for your emotions to catch up to your obedience, but the only thing God can work with is obedience. See, I don't know what you have to tear down and rebuild, but God's doing that in your life even now. In the last couple of weeks, the Lord pressed in on me. I want you to finish the restoration. I'm like, what does that look like? He said, invite your dad down to Thanksgiving. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I have followed you all along the way, and we're being restored. But he's never been in my house. The whole family gets together. We host Thanksgiving. And then a deep breath. Okay. So this Thanksgiving, my dad will be in my house for the first time since I was 19 years old. And he's going to be there for Thanksgiving. And for the first time in his life, he's going to meet all my kids my grandkids, and God's going to complete a restoration. Listen. Listen. The Spirit of God is telling you you're designed to be mighty warriors. He's calling you things nobody sees in you because he sees tomorrow like you see yesterday. He's betting on you, but you have to bow to him. So what do you need to clean up? Let me pray for you. Father, this room is set with men and women who you put here on purpose. If they could just breathe in the depth of your belief in them, your desires for them, God may right now they receive, all who are willing, the truth that they are destined to be world changers, but you're going to change their world first on the inside. 
give them the courage of Gideon to tear down the things that need to be torn down and rebuild the altars to you from lies to truth. And God, raise them up to be so fully your men and women for the sake of your kingdom. Now let your blessing rest on them. Bring honor and glory to your name and give many victories. And may someday down the road this be the group of people who are called world changers in Christ's name. Amen. I've had the opportunity to be around Pastor Kevin many times over the last few years. And you know, one of the things I love most about Pastor Kevin is he's always himself. Everywhere I've ever been with you, Pastor, you're, you're always yourself. In fact, it's blowing my mind a little bit because I have never heard him preach in a, in a suit before. He's always, he's always been in uh, jeans. Uh, well, every now and then, uh, here at Indiana Wesleyan University, I get to declare, I get to uh, bestow an honorary doctorate degree on people that we honor, especially because of the service that they've given. And so, uh, Pastor Kevin, for your faithfulness to the calling of the Lord upon your life to expand his church, for your dedication to the preaching of God's word, for your passion to use your God-given gifts to influence culture for the cause of Christ, for your Christian character as evidenced in your daily, personal, and professional actions and attitudes. By the authority vested in me by the Indiana Wesleyan University Board of Trustees in the state of Indiana, I confer upon you the degree Doctor of Divinity, in token of which I cause you to be vested with the appropriate academic hood and present this parchment of documentation. Because he always wears jeans, we're not wearing gowns today. So he's just getting the hood, but not the gown. Would you uh, congratulate Kevin? You really are an amazing group of people. I don't mean to be flattering of you, but you are magnificent, mighty warriors for the kingdom of God. And I can't wait to see what God does with you between this time and when we get to honor one of you. I won't be here in 40 years to do it, <laughs> but somebody will be, just like we did with Pastor Kevin. Thank you so much. Let's pray together for our benediction. Lord, thank you. Pardon me. Father, thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. Thank you for Pastor Kevin, for Marcia, for their children, for the magnificent ministry that you've done with them through the years. I pray for the way that you've blessed him. Thank you for this rich testimony of how you're working in his life even right now to make him a world changer by showing what reconciliation looks like and restoration. Now, Lord, I pray that you would bless our homecoming weekend, help us to have fun together. If it'd be okay with you, help us to win tomorrow. <laughs> but whatever happens, thank you so much for all your blessings on IWU and all these wonderful, magnificent students, faculty, and staff. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good one.